Numbers 3.16 are pretty famous amongst Christians. I reckon we could all say the most famous 3.16 together. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Well, I have another 3.16 for you this morning. Does anyone know Colossians 3.16 off by heart? That's possible some might have memorized that. No? Well, you probably will recognize it when I say it. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. It does sound lovely, doesn't it? Singing songs to one another in order to teach and admonish and doing it with an attitude of gratitude. But hold that happy thought and think about those psalms. Psalms, hmm. Then they're not all happy, clappy songs, are they? Well, you know, at church, mostly we like to keep things on an even keel, pretty well organised, culturally appropriate emotional expression. But if you look closely at the Psalms, you'll see a far wider range of human emotions, just about the complete range of emotions. There are prayers, there are cries, questions, laments from the heart, praises to God. Deep emotional states are expressed. So speaking to one another with Psalms could actually include a far wider range of emotions than we usually find in the church. Well, it's not, of course, as simplistic as that. It would be more appropriate to share deep emotional stuff with small groups of trusted friends rather than in a public meeting. But my aim this morning is not to try and change the way that we do church. It's just rather to learn from the Psalms how to worship the Lord when life deals you crushing blows. To learn from the Psalms what you can do with your emotional pain when life gives you lemons. To learn from the Psalms that others have already gone through similar situations to you and they still found God's strength and supply. And to give you a simple framework to maybe write your own Psalm so that you can make lemonade when life serves you lemons. Now there are happy Psalms. Yeah, Psalms which celebrate the new king, God's precious word, the shepherding and the care of God. But today I want to consider a few psalms which start with people in trouble, people hurting, with disasters and opposition coming strongly against the psalm writer, against the psalmist. And so I've entitled this morning's message, Write Your Own Psalm. And I was thinking particularly the exercise of writing out a psalm when something bad has happened, that can be very therapeutic. I know quite a lot of people like to journal in difficult times. There's something about the act of writing which enables us to crystallise our thoughts, enables us to work out what we are really thinking and feeling. It enables us to put thoughts and feelings into words and therefore express what we might find it hard to talk about. And if you stay with the writing process to express your feelings and thoughts, what's even more therapeutic is when you take those 
thoughts and feelings and you take them to God like you do when you write a psalm. So we're going to visit this morning a few psalms which have sprung out of bad situation. And the first one, it comes out when you're betrayed by someone close to you. Psalm 55 verse 12. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide it. But it's you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked amongst the worshippers. So if you needed to write a psalm about betrayal by a friend, then take notice of how this psalmist starts his psalm. He starts with a primal screen, a heartfelt cry out to God. In Psalm 55 verse 1, he says, Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. You know, it's realistic to scream when someone punches you. It's realistic to cry out to God for help. And so I recommend that the first thing you do in a psalm is you you have a heartfelt cry to God. The second thing we see is that the psalmist doesn't hold back from telling God how he feels and what he thinks about it all. So the second thing to do is tell God how you feel. And verse 2, it says, My thoughts trouble me and I'm distraught. And verse 4, my heart is in anxiety in anguish within me, the terrors of death have fallen on me. Oh, that's pretty scary, the terrors of death. And fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. And when you feel like that, there's just an intense desire to run away, avoid the pain. And then we see that in verse 6. I said, oh, had I the wings of a dove, I'd fly away and be at rest. I'd flee away. I'd flee away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter, far from the tempest and the storm. So what I see is the way before psychologists and counsellors learn to ask, how are you feeling? Long before, are you okay, mate? The, the psalmist was showing that it's okay to express how you really feel. It's okay to share your real feelings with close friends or trusted others. And then on the other side, if you have a friend who is obviously in pain, it's okay to ask them, I mean, really, how are you feeling? It's okay to give the person permission to just, just let it out, tell us about it, and we'll just let you express it, and we'll worry about solving the problem later on. Because Romans, Paul tells us this, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It's better than okay to cry with those who are sad and to be happy with others when they're happy. Another bad situation which is talked about in a psalm is when there are enemies around. Psalm 56 says, Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies. My enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attack. My enemies pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. 
And what do they do all day long? They twist my words. Have we seen that happening? Yes, we have. They twist my words and all their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire. They lurk. They watch my steps, hoping to take my life. And so in this psalm, we've got a guy who's feeling trapped. He's feeling pinned down. He's feeling captured by his adversaries, his opponents, his enemies. These proud, these cold-blooded, shameless and vengeful people are against him. And so what's, what's he do? He, he tells God what's going on. He doesn't hold back because it's not paranoia if they really are out to get you. I wonder if you can relate to this, this guy. Do you have real enemies? Or is it just life that seems to be all just a you? Well, what about if these enemies are really, really powerful? Psalm 57 says, I'm in the midst of lions. He's in the lion's den. Wow. I'm forced to dwell amongst ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And here's a case where the enemies against the guy are really powerful, really dangerous and full of evil intent. And I know... Some of us feel that there are malevolent and mysterious forces pulling the strings behind the scenes in these COVID days. And we can just identify with the deep feelings that the psalmist expresses next about that situation. In verse 6, he said, They've spread a net for my feet and I was bowed down in distress. This guy is sent into almost a fetal position, all the weight of the force of the opposition bowing him over. And so we note that the psalmist tells God all about how bad things are. And we'll have to wait a bit in this message to see what God does about those powerful and dangerous enemies. But before we do that, we're going to look at the situation where the troubles you're facing are not caused by others, but by yourself. And we look at the psalm after David has messed up with Bathsheba, Psalm 51. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Sometimes we've done something for which we can't forgive ourselves. We've sinned big time, and we know there's no one to blame but ourselves. It's very easy to feel like the psalmist that we're so bad we can never get anything right, that we're just a loser. Now, Psalm 51 has that sense. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So as we look at that verse, on the one hand, we take responsibility for our life and admit that we're a sinner. And we take responsibility when we accept the reality of the fact that we can be just as bad as the other guy. And it's good to do this, to be honest, to be real. But then again, sometimes you can prefer to punish yourself forever for your sin. Because we don't want to hand our sinfulness over to God. And the psalmist says it's not good to be your own judge. It's not good to punish yourself as a way of paying for your mistake. Because that's like holding burning coals close to your heart. And... If you feel like this and you feel you can't tell anyone else, well, then maybe writing it out in a psalm like this guy does could be very therapeutic for you.
Now there's a little side point in, in there. We notice that the psalmist, King David, understands that when you sin, you're not just sinning against yourself. It's not that you're just feeling bad because your pride is hurt or feeling bad because you haven't lived up to the standard that you set for yourself or feeling bad because you haven't been that outstanding person you believe that you really are. The fact is, at the end of the day, any sin is sin against God. Psalm 51, verse 4, Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And you don't fix sin by fixing it yourself. You can only fix sin by bringing it to God so that he can fix it. You can't fix your own sin because every sin is ultimately against the perfect holiness, the sinlessness of God. And David understands that. David knows that. He faces up to it before God and asks God to fix it. He says in verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And whilst in those days David was opening himself up to the discipline of the Lord and willing to take the punishment, which was probably the hyssop, these days we have it way better than that. Since Jesus died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve, we have a privilege, a privilege of being able to confess our sins to Jesus so that they can be nailed to the cross also and we can accept by faith the forgiveness for them which Jesus won for us by being a perfect sacrifice to pay for them. All we need to do is own up, hand them over, ask Jesus to forgive us, and then trust that, put our trust in Jesus' free offer of forgiveness. Then we can do everything we can to avoid going back sinning again and determine again and again and again and again that we will follow all the ways of Jesus. We can also take a leaf from Psalm 51, verse 10 of, of David's prayer. And he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create a pure heart. You know, there's something wonderful about experiencing real forgiveness. And just creates a yearning for the work of the Holy Spirit within you. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew our steadfast spirit. It's so good to know that you are truly forgiven. So good to know that, that you just want more of it. Verse 11, David said, Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to, return, to sustain me. And so we've moved into the third part of writing your own psalm. See where God is in the midst of your struggle. Sometimes counsellors do something called the healing of memories. In this process, they invite people to remember a dreadful time in their life, which they don't really want to remember. They remember that and stay with those memories and then look around and see where Jesus is in that situation. Because we know that God's everywhere and we know he's, because he's omnipresent. We know that he knows everything that's happened because he's omniscient. And we know that he has power in every situation because he's omnipotent. And our enemy wants us to think that God's completely abandoned you. 
that has allowed you to suffer dreadfully without caring and that you were completely alone at that time. But it's not true. He was there and he saw you. And he can hear the memories of you that you have of that time if you allow him to open your eyes and see where he was, stopping things from being worse and was healing in his hands. You know, there is some mystery in this fallen world and a fallen creation as to how the pain and the suffering gets dished out. But we must always remember it's not God who's dishing out the bad stuff because he set up a perfect world. And the pain and the suffering, it just reminds you of how bad sin actually is and how much it really does disrupt life. The psalmists have, after acknowledging the bad stuff, looked around to see where God is. And they've refocused on what the Bible has told them is going on. And they've reaffirmed their faith in the face of calamity. And let's hear what they say. For the person, we'll do those psalms back in the reverse order now. For the person in trouble due to the fact that they messed up, there's a promise of cleansing. I mentioned it before. Psalm 51 verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and this is the wonderful joy. I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And you know, it's, there's an assurance that that leads to something better to a, a prosperity and a security. We see that in verse 18. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. And note that after moral failure, there is a correct attitude to have. Psalm 51, verse 17. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. The arrogant spirit of pride in your own strength and ability, your independent desire to live life your own way without God's godly accountability, that needs to be broken. Because God loves when we humbly and happily want to do life his way. Where did the guy who had those really powerful enemies see God? Let's go to Psalm 57, verse 1. He calls out for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. For, what does he see? For in you I take refuge. God is a place of refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. The psalmist comes clearly to see that you can come to God for refuge when powerful enemies are against you. You can stay close to him and he will shelter you. I've heard many people talking about how they watch the news night after night and how fearful they get listening to all those statistics and the, the party line commentary that's trotted out. Well, the person who turns off that stream of fear and turns on the refuge in God's stream has got it worked out. They're a winner. Because you have to do that. You have to spend time daily with God in the place of refuge to enjoy the refuge. And with that refuge, notice that there's the assurance of protection from God. Psalm 57, the enemies, 6b, they dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. And the person who goes into a godly refuge sees clearly that in time, the enemies will only get themselves into trouble 
when they come after you. Yes, they dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. Even if it's not in the near future, if you are truly established in God's refuge, you know that you can move from there on to the fourth part of a psalm, which is when you jubilantly praise God. Look at this jubilant praise here in Psalm 57, verse 7. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the people. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. What about the guy who had lesser enemies? What's he, what's he thinking at this same point? Well, you go back to Psalm 56, verse 1, Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help, and by that I will know God is for me. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Yes, he sees God is at work in his situation. God is at work saving him. And he turns to praise his wonderful Lord. Verse 3 there, when I'm afraid, what does he do? I put my trust in you. That's a very important thing. When things, afraid, when things make you afraid and you want to know what to do, well then go back and look at God and put your trust in him. In God whose word I praise. In God I trust. And I'm not afraid because what can mere mortals do to me? In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust and I'm not afraid. What can man do to me? And then the very first psalm that we looked at today, Psalm 55, where the person has been hurt badly by close friends, this guy knows that God hears his prayers. This guy sees himself rescued from the battle and so he praises in verse 16, As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning and noon I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. And then he saves him in verse 18. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. And so he can, uh, can rest in and praise and affirm just how totally sufficient God is in verse 22. It says, confidently, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. And so there are the components, there are the components, the bits to have in your psalm. Number one, cry out to God. Number two, tell him how you really feel. Number three, look around for where God is in your struggle. And then number four, just jubilantly praise God. Well, I uh, thought I'd better take some of my own medicine and so I wrote out a psalm too, just to give you an idea of an example. I've called it a psalm for a virus. Verse 1. O Lord, I cry out in frustration at the confused handling of this invisible virus. 
Powerful masked forces magnify fear and change their rules to create confusion and divisions between us. They pit family member against family member. They work towards hidden agendas and manipulate the flow of information for their own ends. My trust in leadership and authority is greatly diminished. Nevertheless, nevertheless, you are the holy God who puts kings on thrones. His mighty hand will accomplish his divine purposes. You created the heavens and the earth. You breathed the air into my lungs and with your infinite wisdom gave me life and independence and a will and emotions. I pray that you will keep back the enemy's power to afflict and inflict his evil purposes upon our leaders. I pray that your mighty hand will prevail to work your purposes for our nation through our leaders. I pray that evil will be unmasked, that godly righteousness and the power of your Holy Spirit will be released upon our nation. And so, I rejoice, for you are God. You are the one who created the heavens and the earth. In you we live and move and have our being. You are love and you command us to love one another. I will praise you amongst my Christian family and to all who will listen, for you have the words of eternal life. No invisible virus will destroy my trust in you or rob me of the joy of your salvation. I will not fear, for you are with me always. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Will you pray with me? Gracious and wonderful Father, we affirm at the end of all the scheming and planning that you are God. And it is in you we trust. And we draw close to take refuge in you. We, we remind ourselves of your greatness and your magnificence. And we commit the lives of ourselves, our family and our friends into the hands of God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.